Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. Me? I'm still Justin McElroy, no matter what my wife's name is. That Yes, that's true. That's quantum physics where you said right there in a nutshell. I don't. That, mm, that was not my, of the sciences, of the big sciences, um, that was not my strongest suit. Physics. I was more of a bio than chem than physics last kind of gal. All right, but that's not. I'm pretty sure that's not quantum physics. Uh, you're probably right about that, Sydney. Um, probably, maybe. I mean, you know, it's hard to. It's honestly hard to say. <laughs> it's been a heck of a couple of weeks, hasn't it, pal? Oh man, yeah, bud. I mean, you were gone through part of it, but that was hard in its own way for me. Because I had a lot of travel woes. You were on the road again. I'm away from my heart and soul, my family. And I'm with my other heart and soul, the fans. But then our power went out. And then there was water dripping from the ceiling and the basement. Which is not what you want. No. Uh, It's been rough. But you know what kicked it off, really? This, this, This period of relative calm was we were having some friends over. And... It was this, a delightful evening. We're we sitting, never, we, we, we never, never, we never have adult friends over. The idea of us sitting with another couple and like having a drink and relaxing and talking and eating some popcorn, that is so rare for it's, us. Like so rare. Like y'all, <laughs> it never happens. Never. Ha- and so we're, we're sitting on the deck and relaxing and talking when our oldest daughter, Charlie, comes running out yes. in just pajama pants. <laughs> Yes. Inexplicably. Yes. Our friends Tommy and Claire were there. We were all, and I was sitting there thinking, like, this is so nice. We should do this more often. And then I see shirtless Charlie trucking it through the living room. Looking for us. And we're like, we're right here. And she's like, Cooper puked. Cooper, Cooper puked. Because Cooper had indeed, poor thing, doused herself, her bed, her clothes, her hair. She didn't seem to to um, be sick. This is one of the things they don't put in the parenting books. Sometimes kids. They just puke. Sometimes kids just puke. I mean, actually, that's part of what... (laughs) You know that thing in your body where you're like, I better not eat any any more of this smoothie or I will puke. 
kids don't have that switch. No. And especially like kids eat, if it's yummy, they eat it fast. So they eat it before the switch can even be flipped. But I am going to talk about that specific issue in this episode of Sawbones, which is about vomiting. Just vomiting. Just This is sort of, this is the one's a little different. I mean, there's history in here, but it's more like a survey. I was just sort of like... What's up with vomiting? I just wanted to think. I wanted to like meditate on vomiting for an episode. (laughs) Before this is obviously this isn't really a content warning so much because you probably should have guessed this from like yeah it's yucky it's vomit uh, yeah but if that's something you don't like to hear about if that's like a a a rough topic for you please by all means enjoy our other episodes yeah absolutely so Sid what's up though I mean what's up okay first of all Justin why do we why do we I, I'm going with vomit. We we could go with puke, hurl, blow chunks, spew. Ew, blow chunks is the worst. Blow okay. chunks is the worst. I hate All right. that one. We'll just, just stay vomit, with vomit. Like scientists. Okay. Why do we vomit? Who up Chuck? I hate that one too. Why do we vomit? Well, Sid. I always liked hurl. Our body has what I have. I like to think of as a few sort of emergency levers that mm-hmm. circumvent you as a person. And say, like, I know that usually you are in control of the body, but right now I, the body, separate from the mind, am going to do an action that I need. Now, some of those are reflexive actions that you need to survive. I'm thinking here of your heart beating, your lungs breathing, things like that. But I think sometimes the body has, like, emergency levers, too, where it's like, nope, 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 that's it. Nope, come on, everybody out. Yeah. I'm taking control. I think diarrhea is like that. Sneezing is like that. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, these similar, yeah, similar idea. And I mean, you're you're basically right. Like, pants when you hear uh, one of my hilarious jokes, our body, either correctly or or otherwise, sometimes it's not right about this, but generally uh, believes right. it's the body. There is something in in your stomach in your gastric contents that needs to be removed quickly, forcibly, out of concern for your safety. Some sort of toxin, some sort of poison, something bad has upset our system, and our system is saying evacuate. Yes. That's vomiting, right? That's vomiting. That's vomiting. Um, So there's a point to it. There's a – and I think what's interesting when you look into medical history, and we'll get into this, is that that's why there are as many ways that humans have tried to, like, stop vomiting from happening as we have tried to enable ourselves to vomit. Yeah. Right? Because we thought it was curative for various reasons. Um. So basically, at that point, when your body has decided that there is something bad in it, uh, either nerves from your stomach tell your brain, hey, I'm upset, I'm irritated, I got to get emptied out immediately. We can't wait for the usual method. That's going to take too long. We need to go the other route. Um, Or sometimes your brain starts the process. There's actually different places that can be the the stimulus for Mm. vomiting. There's an area, the area postrema in your brain. There's and by a vomit the brain, center. You don't necessarily mean the mind, if that distinction makes any sense. No, it's literally a part of your brain that will, like, if if stimulated, make you puke. So basically, when when we get that signal back to our stomach, we there's a whole series of things that happens. Your vocal cords close over, Production. right? Uh, we, our diaphragm is lowered. That that gets pulled down to create negative pressure. 
And that opens up the esophagus, and then your stomach muscles contract in a certain order that forces all of the stuff in it through this opened esophagus, past the glottis that's closed, and out. It's really incredible. I mean, it is incredible. (laughs) It's gross, but it is really incredible that your body's like, I have one, there's one, it reminds me of, um, and you wouldn't be familiar with this concept, but um, in Star Trek, there was this thing where you you know that you can imagine the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's this thing where if stuff gets really bad, you can separate the saucer from the rest of the ship, right? And it's oh. like a last ditch. Like, okay, we have one thing, and mm-hmm. you, no one's gonna like this, but we have one thing weird thing here that we know how to do for some reason. Now later on, after they did it the first time, and I don't know when they did it the first time, but it became a much more common like. I don't know. Somebody like had a really bad toot. And they're like, Ugh, separate the saucer, get it out of here. But uh, that's what it reminds you of. Just your body's like, I mean, I have one last dish. <laughs> Nobody's gonna like it, but here we go. And this and this can be the result of something like a virus or a bacteria, like an illness. It can be a poison, a chemical toxin. It can be because of hormonal changes or other things that might affect like the vomit center in your brain. Like obviously, pregnancy, and we'll talk a little bit about vomiting and nausea in pregnancy. Medications can cause this. Um, it can be uh, something that, like, emotionally, psychologically, you know, your sensory stimulus. You smelled something gross. You mm-hmm. saw something gross. You saw someone else vomit. That's and weird. that makes you vomit. That's a weird one. <laughs> do you know why? Do you know why it's thought why why do we probably vomit when someone else vomits? Because Because you we, can trigger like a whole cascade of vomiting. Because theoretically we ate what they ate. So traditionally uh the human animal hunts and gathers in groups. And so it is likely from like an evolutionary standpoint that the person in your proximity whatever they're eating it is it was likely now nowadays I would say that's not necessarily true, but it was very likely that you ate the same thing that the person near you ate, and so you see them puking. So it's sort of a, and this your body is assuming I've also been poisoned, and I must also, <laughs> I must also get rid of what's in my stomach. Now nowadays that doesn't really hold because like, what if you're in the food court at the mall? You know, like you ate at Sparrow, they ate at Panda Express. Yeah. But your stomach doesn't know that. Yeah. It's too late. It doesn't know about the Sparrow rule. <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe my body's just kind of playing the odds there with Sparrow. <laughs> well, I don't know. Um, why do kids puke so easily? I thought that was an interesting question. Because they do. That they This do. is something I, I – it's like it's the – It's really weird. It's one of the uh, – up there with like – Everything is temporary. That's like my chief parenting tip for people when like how what's your what's your parenting advice? And transitions are seldom smooth. Transitions are seldom smooth. And I by the way, and I also would never give parenting advice unless somebody directly asked me. Yeah. That's that's, that's my another number one. tip. Yeah. That's your number one. Unless you ask me for advice, I'm not gonna give you any. But um that that is one thing I will say. Kids just puke sometimes. And like always check and make sure they're okay. I'm not saying like assume it's nothing, but a lot of the times they just puke and then they're fine. And you never really figure out what the heck happened. Yeah. And that's kids. Their bodies are more sensitive to the same the same signals that make us vomit. Their bodies are just a lot more sensitive to. Which makes to sense, To any right? kinds of physical I mean, or emotional stressor. They're also stressor. probably more susceptible to some of the toxins and stuff that we talked about. So the body, the body maybe has a shorter trigger yes. on that kind of thing. Yeah, it has a lower dose kind of tolerance. Also, like, just very practically speaking, the GI bugs that we all tend to get in our lifetime – 
we get the first time we're exposed to, and we tend to be exposed to them when we're kids. So, like, kids are going to get sick more often. We know this. And so they're going to puke more for that reason, too. So any illness or injury can make a kid hurl. Like, anything that, I mean, if you stub your toe really hard, it might make you, like, feel a little nauseated for a second. You know that feeling? Or, like, if you bonk your head and you get that moment of, like, oh, I feel nauseous for a second. For a kid. People with nuggets, it happens (laughs) if you get yeah struck in the nuggets mm-hmm. or by if you it's actually worse if you get a nugget tap by like a, a, if you're ra- ever wrapping extension cord or something like that or just bare sometimes that can be even worse but anyway yeah it, any sort of yeah any sort of physical thing that like you may have as an adult that moment of like you feel sick for a moment for a kid it will probably just turn into a, a puking episode um that's not to say that if your kid pukes ignore it again obviously you know, anytime our kids are sick, I am concerned. Yeah. I am making an effort to keep them hydrated at that point. That's one of the biggest worries with kids. You know, if there are other serious symptoms, fevers, or they're confused, or they're hurting somewhere else, any abdominal pain, anything else. This is not me writing off vomiting. It's just an acknowledgement that kids puke easier. Yeah. And sometimes, like the other night, kids puke, and then they're fine. And the next day, they're running around eating ramen for breakfast and having no problem. So yeah. I don't know. Um, morning sickness, which is obviously a misnomer. Right. I think we covered that probably. Yeah. Nausea and vomiting and pregnancy can happen anytime. We've talked about this a lot. Why does it happen? You know, we still don't know. <laughs> Great. <laughs> which, by the way. Thanks, science. Uh, unsurprising. Unsurprising that this problem is not has not historically been important to the people who decide what we research. Um. We haven't done a lot of great studies. Uh, Hormones have always been blamed. Like, well, probably your hormones, they're changing, so you're nauseous. What's interesting, though, is those levels don't peak at the same time that the nausea and vomiting of pregnancy usually occur. Like, they Mm. don't coincide very well. So Mm. it's not a, it's a, it's it's a messy explanation. It's not a clean explanation. I'm not saying hormones don't have anything to do with it, but it doesn't hold water completely. We know that smooth muscle relaxation happens in pregnancy. Part of that is like important. Everything's sort of relaxing so you can stretch and accommodate like, you know, a human um, and then birth it from your mm-hmm. body. Uh, but that uh, stretching and relaxation of smooth muscle allows for the lower esophageal sphincter, the bottom of your esophagus to loosen, which allows for reflux a lot easier. Thank you very much, Charlie and Cooper. That was terrible. And also, um, it delays the speed that your stomach empties. So, like, food will sit in there a little longer. All those things. I don't know. We also know it's genetic. We still don't know exactly why it happens. Great. But part of this is we don't understand nausea very well. Really? No. We still, like, vomiting, we have a much better fix on, like, where where do the impulses start and what triggers them and how can we block them and all those things. Nausea's still a little bit of a mystery because nausea's worse in many ways. I I would take pretty much any symptom over nausea. Honestly, I hate being nauseous. The uh, me too. And, and And that's what's interesting about it is that we don't have a great fix for nausea, but we do have a lot of things that will probably make you stop puking most of the time. But mm. nausea's tougher. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting when you start digging into the research on nausea and vomiting, how there is still so much we don't understand and don't know how to fix and don't know. And I think part of it is because so often the causes of nausea and vomiting are transient. It's like it's over before you get too worked up about it. So we move on. And then I think the other part of it is what I want to get into with the history is that our perception of vomiting throughout time and place in different cultures is different. 
um, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, whether it's the goal or the thing that we are trying to treat, Mm -hmm. um, that has shifted. And so I think that's part of it. Uh, We've all heard of the, the ancient Romans had something called a vomitorium. Yes, a big room that they vomited in. Right. That is what you think a vomitorium is, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. They, Wh- but why all, would they do that? Tell they, me the myth. Because they were, oh, I thought I was telling you the facts, but okay. They were um, they were doing the, um, you know, they were eating in great b- feasts and yes. banquets, and they would eat so much, and then they would use a feather to throw up, and then they could eat more. Okay, so it was like intentional, right, so that they could just keep eating more and more. And it's used as like this symbol of how gluttonous the Romans were, right? Yeah. Okay, the term vomitorium was first used by the Roman writer Macrobius in Saturnalia, and he was not talking about a room where people vomit. Okay. Okay, that is not what a vomitorium was. What else was it? It was talking about entrances and exits to like amphitheaters and arenas. Mm Mm-hmm. And how, as people were coming in or out of an event, how it would look like they were vomiting people into a space or back out of a space. Really? And he he talked about how that he called them vomitoriums, kind of like a little as, as a joke, like tongue in cheek, because like a place where <sighs> people are being vomited into or out of weird a space. That's where the word vomitorium came from. That is from. wild. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Now that is interesting. And like what, what happened, people built on that kind of concept that the Romans did feast and yes. they did, they did drink a lot and drink to excess. And so like drunkenness and vomiting and eating so much you vomit, like part, that did happen. I mean, people did get drunk and puke, but like all through human history, yeah, that's we happened. We're wild about that. Not just the Romans, but that wasn't the plan. Huh. <laughs> that wasn't part of the plan. <laughs> Um, following that, there were many who wrote of Roman excess and they built on that with like Seneca, the Stoic wrote about it and made a comment like they eat, eat so that they may vomit and they vomit so that they may eat. But he was, he wasn't literal. That wasn't supposed to be a literal, like they're eating. He's just having some fun. He's having a little. He was, I mean, he was a Stoic. And so to him, it was all gross and unnecessary and excessive and so like but it wasn't literal however over time the word vomitorium and our understanding of the way like the language was constructed vomitorium would be a place where you would vomit Mm -hmm. and so the myth persisted with this literal kind of understanding that all the romans were so decadent that they would eat so much and then want to eat more not be able to fit it in their stomachs so intentionally go vomit to eat more so that they could eat, you know, just keep eating food all time. And, like, that was, I think, echoed in, like, the Hunger Games. They talk about that with, like, the people who live at the Capitol, and it's that same sort of idea. Um, But that wasn't what vomitoriums were. Well, there you go. I know. I know. I know. I I was fascinated as I was reading about vomiting, and I learned this fact. so much smarter now. Um, I want to talk about vomiting used as either a symptom to treat or a means of treatment, because we've done both. But before I do that. Yep. We gotta go to the billing department. Let's go. The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McRoy fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McRoy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is gonna make it easier. Then you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky 
podcasting superstar? I don't think I was going Squarespace, to. Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool. Think of it as the palette. The palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts. And that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed. But we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat, delicious meals right to your door. And not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got, like, fancy stuff. Listen to this. What are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From 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 a, a box? Pre-prepared? All I got at two minutes? I'm eating filet mignon? That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, and the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. Hello, I'm a stuffy dowager countess. Travis? I'm judging everybody's manners. Oh, no. Schmanners isn't judgy. It's about teaching you to be your best self and be a little more confident when you enter social situations that you don't understand, and maybe also teach you a little bit about history you didn't know or give you interesting things to talk about at parties. Yeah, like The Secret Life of Emily Post. Or like why wristwatches are the way that they are. We can talk about table manners from the Victorian era. Sure, or what it's like to attend a Regency Ball. Yeah. Uh, you can find all that and more if you listen to Schmanners on Maximum Fun or wherever your podcasts come from, I guess. Manners, Schmanners. Get it? A man was walking along a beach which represented his life. At his feet were two sets of footprints, his and God's. But looking back down the beach, the man could see that in the hardest parts of his life, there was only one set of footprints. So the man said to God, why is there only one set of footprints when times were hard? Where were you? And God replied, my precious child, I was in my car 
listening to the Beef and Dairy Network podcast. The Beef and Dairy Network podcast is a multi-award winning comedy podcast and you can find it at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Sid, let's get medical. Let's get serious about nausea and vomiting. So we first, when we first started trying to treat it, so let's talk about trying to fix it. Uh, when we first started trying to fix it, it was really because of seasickness. And we've done a whole episode on mal de mer, seasickness. Um, so I'm not going to go over it again. I is that separate from the seasick proof saloon or is that part of the episode? That was part of the episode. Wow. One of my favorite episodes. That's a good one. Yeah. If you haven't listened to it, I don't even want to, I don't there, a guy built a seasick proof saloon and you don't know what that means, but you should listen it's to the episode. It's one of the it's best. It's weird that it's not a movie. Honestly, uh-huh. it's, the seasick proof saloon should be a movie. Nobody steal this idea. TM. I want to make a, no, mu- they don't have to steal the no, idea. I want to make a want- musical. It, it needs to be a musical. I just haven't written it because I can't write music, but I'm going to. They should license, someone should option that episode of a podcast. Like mm-hmm. people do that. <laughs> like just uh, option that episode. Someone, please. I want to be part of the creative force. I've some. I've pictured this musical in my head so many times. But what if we could just get a big check, just a huge yeah. check? Because I want to be part of the creative process. Anyway, um, you artists, man, I tell you. <laughs> yeah, seasickness was the first focus because it was inconvenient. We need like sailors had a job to do, and so if they were, you know, hanging over, overboard puking, that was inconvenient. Um, one medication that seemed effective early on was hyacine or hyoscyamine. It was derived from uh, belladonna and family. So a lot, you know, a lot of these sort of plant-based things. Belladonna that we found. and family does sound like a full group from the sixties, <laughs> for <does>. sure. <laughs> um, they actually trialed giving it, like they they actually tried these medications sort of like in a scientific fashion, more or less. Like would like when sailors were going out during storms, like give some of them the medication and see if it worked. Mm. Which is like science. I mean, yeah, that's science, science, you know. Um, it did work, and later they uh, started using atropine and scopolamine, which we don't use atropine for this. We use atropine today for other things. We use scopolamine now. But we use scopolamine to this day. Yeah, you um, had a transdermal scopolamine patch when we went on the cruise before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and we have, and, and all of these medications that I'm talking about, by the way, have a ton of like side effects if not used properly or dosed properly or like depending on if you're taking it orally or or like in a patch. So like these were all early attempts that certainly did help with nausea and vomiting but probably could have done a lot of bad stuff and did at times. Mm-hmm. So early attempts but not our best effort just yet. Um, I mean they can affect like your heart rate and things like that. Okay. So like they, they can do a lot of a lot of dangerous stuff. The next class we investigated were antihistamines. Um it took us a long time to figure out how to block histamine for mm-hmm. allergic. I know what you're thinking, like antihistamines, that's for allergies. Yes. That Well, you've got different – there are also histamine blockers that we use for acid reflux. Oh, okay. In our stomach because we have histamine so, like, released there. Yeah, like famotidine. Exactly. Pepsid, brand name. Um and uh, and but we we found that with some of these antihistamines, there were medicines that crossed the blood brain barrier as well, and that helped with other things. Like mm-hmm. that's also why they the early ones caused drowsiness. Mm. Like if you think about Benadryl versus Claritin. Oh yeah, that, okay. that's what we're talking about. Stuff that can get into your brain and make you drowsy, and stuff that doesn't. 
can it get into your brain? Um, but because these early ones did cross that barrier, it allowed them to get to parts of the brain that were responsible for nausea and vomiting, which made them somewhat useful for that too. Um, the first time we figured that out, it was just a lucky break. Hmm. Uh, so diamond hydronate, which many of you may have taken for car sickness, Dramamine mm-hmm. is what we're talking about, was being checked out in 1947 as a treatment for allergies, for hay fever, mm. right? So they're looking at it for allergic issues, and one of the patients who they were trialing it in was a pregnant woman who had nausea related to that and car sickness, and she took it for the hay fever but then notice that when she rode the tram, she didn't get sick. Hmm. And she Weird. mentioned that, you know, hey, I think it actually helped with my car sickness. And so they trialed it again with a placebo and it didn't help. And so then they thought, well, hey, we're on to something. Um, so then they started. Shout out to that lady, by the way, who must have had extremely limited uh, transit options if she was like, <laughs> Every time I get on this tram, oh well, gotta get, gotta get to work. Here we go. Get give me a bag. So they gave Going it to it. they gave it to uh, soon after that a bunch of U.S. troops who were crossing the Atlantic um, during a during a particularly rough rough water time, and it worked really well compared with placebo again. This led to like that Benadryl, lady, diphenhydramine being used. Sorry, that's. <laughs> That same poor woman also had hay fever so bad she would agree to participate in an untested experimental <laughs> trial of a hay fever drug. That is a rough. That is a rough life that woman has, man. I know. You know, it's a shame. I don't know her name. I need to. I need to see. I need to do more digging and see if I can find the name of this one. She needs to be made famous for her contribution to medical science. That's a rough. That's her, a rough one. Uh, yes, and her bravery. Um. We all get through life scathed and unscathed <laughs> in our own ways, but the, oof. So, so this was interesting. So we had these drugs, like, I mean, what we're talking about now are antihistamines like Dramamine and Benadryl, which would help with these allergic symptoms. Would Benadryl help with nausea? It does to an extent. Really? Yeah. It's not, the reason we don't think of that as like a nausea drug is we've got better ones now. Yeah. But like, if you had nothing else... You could take a Benadryl and it would probably help to a degree with an upset stomach. Good um, Same way that like if you take a Dramamine, it'll stop you up a little bit. That yeah. I wouldn't use it as a treatment for diarrhea. But if you take it, that will happen. Sometimes I take it on long flights to keep myself from pee, having to get up and pee if I'm in a window seat. It does. It does that a little bit. A lot of these – and th- this is something too. A lot of these early medications weren't as – we now try to make – drugs that are cleaner. And what I mean by that is they do one thing. A lot of these early medications sort of did all kinds of things. And we didn't know exactly what they did. We knew it, they did this one thing, and then we'd get them in people and go, oh, look, they do these other things. Weird. <laughs> or we would know ahead of time, like, well, they're going to do these other things, but it's all we got. This cat so. was really depressed, and then he quit <laughs> smoking? What the heck? <laughs> well, I mean, that is, that is that right? Like, yeah. that's how we figured stuff out. Um, nowadays we have, we usually have a better idea going in if we're going to find those sorts of unintended effects or Mm -hmm. like we find them in trials with animals and stuff before they get into humans. It does still happen, but it's not as common as it was back then. Um, these drugs, including, uh, later on Phenergan, 
which is a mainstay of nausea medicines today, uh, which came after those, only blocked some kinds of nausea is what they began to find. Um, like I said, there are different ways that your body can start sort of the nausea vomiting response, whether it's like something directly influencing the stomach or something in the brain. Mm -hmm. um, so they started trying to work on a class of like psychiatric medications that worked on dopamine receptors in the brain. And they thought that that would help with the areas of the brain that can trigger nausea and vomiting. Um, this was also found, again, it did help some of the nausea, but once you start messing with dopamine, you get a lot of other side effects. Right. You know, the unintended, so like risk benefit ratios start to, not be so great. Um, similar issue with like steroids were tried later and like that can help with nausea. But again, you can't take steroids. For, there are lots of side effects if you just right. keep taking steroids. Um, there's a medication called metoclopramide or Reglin you may have heard of. I was given Reglin as a as a very young baby for reflux. Oh, wow. um, we used to give Reglin a lot or metoclopramide, but then we found that there were a lot of side effects with it too. It can still be used for people with delayed gastric emptying or gastroparesis like – uh, related usually to diabetes or some other, something else that affects your nervous system. Um, but again, long-term use has other side effects. So you have yeah. to be careful. Yeah. It's not for everybody. In the 70s, they started working on cannabis as an option. Still a popular requested <laughs> medication yeah, right. for nausea. People are wild about this. <laughs> People love cannabis for nausea. That's that's why they love it. Um, 420, I'm nauseous just it, as it happens. <laughs> it was never studied to the extent as these other medications for reasons that I don't think I need to explain. Um, once it was criminalized, it was really hard to study it as a useful medication because even if you found anything, it was still What's illegal. A, right. You know, so That's the same kind of short-sightedness that's blocking our research into like psychoactive... Like hallucinogens and stuff like that, mm -hmm. shrooms, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, and that's, I mean, and, it, you know, and if 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 we kind of look at where we are with cannabis and sort of a side note as to, like, where we might end up with these other sorts of drugs, um, a lot of the problem with medical cannabis being legalized in places without recreational cannabis being legalized is that you're kind of thrusting this new medication, so to speak, into the hands of providers and of doctors, and they we don't have the body of evidence to tell us exactly what to do with it. And then also you have sort of the cultural overlay of like, it should just be legal. And so I don't really care, you know, mm -hmm. like everybody can use it if they use it responsibly and I don't. It's safer than alcohol and something. I don't know. It's but that's why it's so complicated. I don't necessarily agree with you with everybody. I feel like um, kids probably shouldn't. But no, okay. I, I meant adults. Too, no, I don't too, want different strokes for different folks. I meant adults. You I just didn't want mean kids. you, Sydney McCoy, candidate for the West Virginia House of Representatives. <laughs> Things kids should be blazing it. No, 24 adults, adults. I just I, maybe that's why they absolutely like, believe that's maybe that's why they can get into blipping because they're like a little <laughs> bit stoned. No, but I have I am open about the fact that I think it should be legalized recreationally because I don't think as a physician, I don't know that putting it in my hands, like making me the gatekeeper is just damaging to, I mean, it, it certainly damages the relationship between patients and doctors, which is already strained for a million other things that we are the gatekeepers to. I just think that this is, is more damaging to that relationship in the long run and doesn't help anybody and it should just be legal for adults. <laughs> Good. 
Didn't um, think you'd have to the clarify next, that. Well, but. I didn't think I would, except you. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't know you were like, you were my opposition on this one. Sydney McElroy <laughs> says that she thinks everybody should have weed. No, I don't. See, okay. The next decades would, after the 70s, and part of, this is also part of why cannabis was not further, and some of these other things weren't experienced, like, weren't looked into further, is that um, chemo was really brought into, like, common use in the in those mm. next decades. And so there became this increased focus on research into anti-emetics, medications that would stop nausea and vomiting because of the side effects of chemotherapy, sure, yeah. right? Um at first, metoclopramide was the best thing that we had, but it wasn't perfect. I said there were side effects. Um, they knew that it was working on receptors that they weren't identifying. That, that was the thing about it. They knew it did one thing, but then it was also helping in other ways, and they weren't sure. Mm-hmm. So they, it took them a while, but they figured out there's this other set of receptors called the 5-HT3 receptors, which are only important in the sense that this is where we made a major breakthrough with nausea and vomiting. Mm-hmm. If we can block them, we can prevent a lot more nausea and vomiting than we did before. And we figured out how to with medications like Ondansetron, which you know better as Zofran, which has become oh. like the mainstay did nowadays. You say, oh, man. What? It's called Dancitron? On Dancitron. Good. Okay. On Dancitron. Because that <laughs> I, they were going to be in a lawsuit <laughs> with me over my dancing robot, Dancitron. <laughs> No, I'm sorry. Dantatron, Moss Boogie, <laughs> it is in my programming. Um, and then, you know, since then, there are other medications that we have had in more recent years, especially like you'll see there are some medications that we really only use for the nausea and vomiting associated with chemo specifically. Um, Zofran used to be that. Nowadays, we use it for a lot more, you know, conditions that cause nausea and vomiting. Um but and again, there are there are side effects things to monitor with Zofran, but it's it's probably what most people turn to nowadays as if you're going to go with a prescription medication if you need something like that for nausea vomiting. And there are medicines like that in other countries instead of Zofran. They have their own 5-HT3 blockers. But anyway, purgatives, just a, a brief mention of the other side of that. Something for a long time, and we've talked about this a lot on the show, medicines that could make you have diarrhea, that could make you pee, that could make you vomit, were thought to be really effective because they did something. Mm -hmm. And part of that has to do with like overlap with spiritual and religious traditions that saw this as important. Like Mm. uh, it can be an important and like um, not intentional, but like it's an okay part of like certain ayahuasca ceremonies. Okay. You might vomit and that's part of it. Um, There are exorcisms performed where vomiting becomes part of it. We've seen these documentaries. Yes, right. (laughs) And that is like a spiritual purge, I guess, that is occurring at that point. Um, and and because of all these different sort of overlaps and alongside with like traditional and folk medicine, which said like sometimes you need to throw up to be healthy, um, we figured out medications that do that. In the Middle Ages, there was something called the antimonial cup, Whoa. which was a cup made of antimony. It would be something you would have in like your family, like you would have it up on the shelf. Like it wasn't Whoa. like your individual. It was like the family antimonial cup and you would probably pass it along throughout like the generations and basically antimony is a toxic substance that will make you vomit um so what you would do is if you were sick you would put the traditional recipe was you would take some white wine it could be any white wine eventually but white wine was preferred put it in the cup at 6 p.m 
let it sit all night, and then at 7 a.m. the following morning, you would drink the wine, a full dose for adults, half dose for kids, and it would have leached enough antimony into the wine that it would make you vomit. That cannot be healthy. No, God, don't do this. No, like we just... don't do this anymore. And there are only, I think there are only like a handful of these cups that still exist in the world, but these used to be passed down through families, the antimonial cup. There was Ipecac syrup, which was used, I mean, into the 2000s mm-hmm. before finally like people who took care of kids, especially pediatricians and family doctors, were like, stop using this stuff. So Ipecac was around for a very long time. You may have had it as a child. You may have seen it in the family medicine cab- a cabinet. a little before my time, I think. It, it existed into the 2000s. Well, I'm, I'm kind of a 2000s well, baby. I mean, so. our listeners. Yeah, our, they're yeah, even, they're, they're, we're all millennials here. I think we can all agree. It was known um, by uh, people indigenous to Brazil for centuries before the Europeans caught on, and they gave it to King Louis XIV in 1682 and decided, like, this is great. We love it. The king likes it. It made him vomit. <laughs> When he was Which sick. Which is the highest review you can um, give for something that's just making you vomit. It's, it's derived from a very pretty plant. I found an Ipecac plant growing out in the woods. <laughs> one of, there are a lot of different varieties of it, but I found one. I, I used my Seek. It's Ipecac with very pretty white flowers. But cool. I told the girls, don't eat that. Um, and the, you know, they're, they're always eating flour. <laughs> it has two chemicals that will actually, Cooper does eat plants yeah, I'm a sure, lot. Of course. You have to stop her. That will induce vomiting, diarrhea, stomach pain. And at higher doses, they can make you really sick. But like, this was found to be useful, especially if you thought somebody had been poisoned. That's where Ipecac came into play, was like, if you thought your kid ate something they weren't supposed to, or, or sometimes just like if you have that sort of, you're really sick and you feel like you need to vomit and you just can't, mm-hmm. you know, and you know that vomiting would make you feel better. We've all had that sort of sensation. Ipecac was on the shelf for these sorts of things. And again, mostly for people who had been poisoned. Um, and and up until, it was like 2013, I think, when it was finally stopped completely. Wow. I mean, it, it had really fallen out of favor by the 90s, but it... It took a while for it to completely go away. It's still out there, I guarantee. And also remember that people used to eat mummies? Yes, of it, course. Part of that reason is they could make you puke if you needed to, which is not surprising yeah. at all. That is like the least surprising thing that people would use for that. Um, nowadays, we know that like even if someone's been poisoned, making them vomit isn't really the best thing to do. If it's if there's a toxic or poisonous like substance in their stomach and you make them vomit, they could aspirate that. They could do damage again to the esophagus if it's something that can be erosive to tissues. Bringing it back through the esophagus is not helpful. So there are a lot more helpful ways that we can treat poisonings um, than making people vomit now, right. which is why we don't pursue this anymore. Um, usually vomiting is not desirable, and so we have a number of medications to pre-treat and post-treat and figure out why. Um, Although we don't always. There are things like cyclic vomiting syndrome where people vomit and we still don't. Vomiting is still somewhat a mystery, nausea even more so. Um, And especially with kids, just to sum it all up, this was inspired by Cooper puking and then being fine. She's fine. fine. Um, Sometimes kids puke. It is scary. It's good to remember that kids do puke easily and in the absence of other symptoms, Keeping them hydrated, they usually just stop and it's fine. You know, bonus pro tip for that. You know how you don't want to puke all over yourself and in your bed and on your floor, and you'll take five steps to try to avoid that happening? Kids will not. If kids sew up, no. it is the most important thing that has happened to them. So if you're going to have a ball out, make sure it's real close. Yeah. Because they do not care. No. They, <laughs> they know they don't have to clean it up. So they're, 
They're pretty unmoved if they puke all over everything. They do. She And she really, she is, I, I just want to stress, we're not making light of something major. She was totally fine. I think it had to do with sugar and maybe swallowing some pool water. We had been swimming that day. Yeah, who knows. Again, not a good idea, but kids, kids do this stuff. It's kids. Hey, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it. Um, you know, if you ever wanted some Sawbones merchandise, some some goodies, uh, McElroyMerch.com is the address for that because all sales in June this month that you're in right now, uh, uh, 10% of merch proceeds are going to Ferris, West Virginia this month. So buy some some stuff over at McElroyMerch.com this month. Um, we have a book, the Sawbones book. Uh, it's in hardback and paperback, and you can get it and read it. And I think you'd like it if you like this. I think Thanks so. to the taxpayers for use of their song Medicines as the intro and outro of our program. Thanks to you for listening. We really appreciate it. Thank Until you. next time, my name's Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. Org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.